Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the No Film School podcast for the week of February 9th, 2023. I am Charles Hain. I am a, a filmmaker and currently the chair of the Fierstein Graduate School of Cinema, which just started, which is like the weirdest thing in the world. Congratulations. The That's amazing. Um, thank you very much. I, I've never related to Sandra O. Moore, yeah. uh, although my department is nothing like her department and my office did not get moved to the basement by the gym. You but know they what? Would do I just want to put it. Could. I want to put just, it out there. Well-deserved, long-deserved, something that I know is being discussed oh, at times. Like, that's for, for our listeners, but also, like, having known Charles now for a long time. Like, I think this was, this is, this is great. That's huge. There was also Congrats. a year or two when I was at the Fierstein School where Charles was do- running it. He, you were the interim chair, so you've done this job before. Sort of. The, so the, the we had someone else who was officially the chair then, but they were also the dean, which is like a full-time job. But they protected me from a lot of the insanity of chair. Mm-hmm. Whereas now I am like, I'm doing all the same stuff I did when I was in charge of the school when you were around. But man, there are also so many online forms and they're all like custom build applications built by our school. So their UX is charming. And um like the people who made them are wonderful humans, but they're all like these weird custom built tools and like everything, everything in th- everything in government and higher education admin and everything is like a whole bunch of linked Google sheets holding basically the world together. <laughs> and uh, so it's been a whole new window into all of that for me. It, it it feels not unlike a film production, but with more color coding on the spreadsheets. But thank you. I, I, I was just tossing that out as my credits, but I'll, I'll take that as a thing. But I'm also here with some other folks. We were George Edelman, editor-in-chief of No Film School. Hey, how's it going? Gigi Hawkins, filmmaker, fresh back from Sundance, which we will not be talking about. Hello. <laughs> well, let's you can just to some other podcast. I'll just put out Sundance. there: the reason we're not talking about it here today is because even is because this, as as all of you know, because you're longtime subscribers and you listen to every single episode multiple times. Gigi has been. We've been putting out a lot of roundtables. Gigi has done a lot of interviews. There's a lot more good stuff to come. She did a couple live from Sundance. So if you happen to be the random person who stumbled upon this and doesn't know all of that, go back and listen to it. There's tons. Of great content. Can I actually give one little teaser that I think is super relevant to our podcast? We Please. we interviewed Nina, who wrote into Askano Film School about That's how right. to promote their film, and their film, Where the Road Leads, won the Audience Award at Slamdance. So that interview wow. was so fun, and it's coming down, and they were so scrappy, and so I think it was just like one little no film school full circle thing that was really satisfying. So keep an eye out for that. I think it'll come out in the next couple of weeks. I mean, moral of the Maybe. story is listen to the podcast right in. You'll go to Sundance. You'll win stuff. It all fits together. Do what we tell you. Follow all of our orders. Exactly. <laughs> Guaranteed results. That's awesome. That note, that, but you have to listen. <laughs> That's amazing. It's very, very cool. Yes. Did I, Todd, and we're also here with Todd Blankenship, <laughs> who is I am Todd. in Texas. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> Hello, everyone. Doing cool stuff. All right. So this week, first topic, a topic we don't talk about much here on the podcast, but it's like one of the number one questions we get in the world, which is like, tell me about getting repped. Tell me about the time creative artists fired you, Charles, uh, and all of those stories. And then we're going to talk about creative breakups after that, which is a thing that doesn't come up often, but it's interesting because filmmaking is like dating and also not like dating. And, and we're going to talk about that. And then if we have time this week, there's an extra special bonus topic. If we have time, that's this week on the no film school podcast, but our first topic this week, getting repped, take it away. George Edelman. Yeah. So I, it just kind of occurred to me recently, people always ask about how you get repped and what happens when you get repped. And it occurred to me in talking to some friends who are in and around the industry, including, you know, a friend who edits all these TV shows, his wife's a writer on a bunch of big shows. Like these are people who work. And I was realizing as I was recounting my history with reps and agents that I had a pretty unique experience. And I was actually like I was repped by a big agency and I was pursued by multiple big agencies at one time. And it's so far in my past and like part of my own whatever scars that I don't think about it a lot. And I don't think about it as being unique. But as I was talking about it, I was like, you know what? This stuff is like, there's some value in all of this. Now, things have changed a lot. I don't know. Excuse me. I don't know that a lot of people, I don't know that a lot of writers, because I was really just a writer at the time, are pursued the way they were at that particular moment right now. So we had done a short, me and my writing partner, and we had done a YouTube video that went quasi-viral. And because of the way those things were being purchased at the time, I think we were pursued heavily by like CAA, Paradigm, WME, like, and we were taking meetings with these, with agents at these agencies and they were genuinely trying to woo us just to sign, which in hindsight now feels insane. At the time it felt pretty insane to me because I was like, I was like, oh my God, this is happening. Like, this is how it happens. And it didn't happen. And I think part of it was because I didn't really know what the hell I was doing. Neither mm -hmm. did my partner. And so it's, it's, it's maybe a cautionary tale, maybe also just because I don't know how often anybody's in these positions, but I think that if, and when you are, or when you're navigating these things, there's a lot of stuff of value that you could glean from somebody who's, who's navigated some of it before I had, first off, we had signed a manager who was a friend. And in some ways that was a mistake because when you are working with friends and we'll get to this in the next segment, dynamics become complicated. Charles knows a lot about that too, from personal experience. But like when you're, when you enter into a professional relationship with a friend and then things, it's not even anyone's fault. And I'm not saying this cause I don't know if these friends are listening or not, <laughs> but it's not even necessarily anyone's fault. It's more like sometimes your needs, where you are, what you're doing, it doesn't all line up, but there's a personal emotional element. So this friend was starting out as a manager, just like we were. And I think the combination of people starting out made us all a little bit more likely to just do what seemed like the older people were saying to do. Mm -hmm. And there was an older person in the room who had been not just an agent at one time, but he had been a super agent. So he was a former, the guy who was the head of this management company that my friend worked at that signed us was once, I think he founded one of the big agencies or he started oh, one wow. of the big agencies. I don't remember which one, but he was like 
he was on the back end. Like he was done. Now, something to keep in mind, part of my story about agents that I learned is like people in that business burn out fast. Like they burn bright and they burn fast and they burn bridges. Burn is the word. Like Mm -hmm. he was on the outside. He had been in, he had been at the top. He'd repped people like Jim, James, Jim, Jim Carrey, James Carrey. And he, but he was on the other side where he was kind of like, no, I'm just running a little boutique management thing. And my, the big days are behind me and he'd made enemies and friends. And so when we took meetings at like CAA, he unintentionally sabotaged us a little bit. Like we had a really good, like to me going into a room in CAA and meeting with an agent who's telling you why you should sign. I was kind of like, I was floating. Like people talk about walking on air. I really felt like I was at that time. I was like, holy shit. And Mm -hmm. CAA is like, it's like being in the death star. Like it's, it's, it's big. It's intimidating. It's legit. And the guy wanted us to sign there, but, but our, the head of our management company kind of steered us away towards another big agency, but the decision was not the right one. And we listened to the loudest voices in the room and the oldest, we didn't listen to our gut and we didn't know yet how to do that. And so I think of my story, my like, it's so easy to be overwhelmed and kind of wide eyed or starry eyed at things that are happening. And it, it might not be my exact story for other people, but It might just be like our person we just talked about who went to Sundance and got a movie there and maybe had some meetings. Like you get these opportunities and sometimes they are so big and overwhelming to you that you don't really know how to trust yourself because you're Mm -hmm. afraid of fucking up. And I think fear of fucking up fucked us up. If I was going to put it in a really like succinct thing, it was like, well, we don't want to fuck this up. Let's listen to this guy. But You gotta, you gotta do some internal like housekeeping and soul searching and be like, what's best, what's my path? Like the, the, the CAA agent we met with was a guy who really liked comedy and we were at our heart, like comedy people. And that should have been, that was, that was pulling at us and that should have defined it. But we were a little scared and, and our person was like, you'll get lost at CAA. Like you won't matter. And that maybe that's true. You know what? I'm not saying that there's like a one way would have been perfect. One way wouldn't. I think things go the way they go. A lot of it is outside of our control, but I don't like that. I let other forces dictate the path. And so I think my, my, my reason for thinking about this a lot or talking about it recently was like, you have to, you want to be the architect of your destiny. Um, which is not to say you shouldn't listen to people's advice if they've been there before. So it's a, ter- it's a really tricky thing to walk. So I don't really know what I'm saying, actually, in conclusion. But sense, I'd love to hear what you guys think or if you have thoughts on these types of situations. Because when you come up, I think it's like I heard a guy. I remember once producing. Uh, I've been talking too long. But I heard a quick last anecdote. I was producing a comedy thing for for HBO and Funny or Die. It was like a variety thing. And one guy was a seasoned SNL comedy writer and he was sharing his segment with these guys who were literally just brand new. And he said to them at one point when I was there, he was like, listen, you're acting like you're only going to get one turn at bat. You're not. Like if you whiff, it's okay. You will get other turns at bat. So I don't want it to sound like you only get one turn at bat because I do not think that's true. 
I, I think you bring up a couple interesting points and in, in things that sort of e- these myths of management, you know, the first being like, oh, they like this person who has worked in this industry has the answer and there is an answer. And I think we put a lot of pressure on that relationship, which frankly, I don't think is fair for managers or agents because they get 10% of what you make you need to do 90% of the work and you're running a business. You just are the business. And I think it's a weird mind shift for people who haven't, who don't have experience in, in business to, to think about that. But like you should be guiding the strategy and it should be a partnership. And you should also know when to leverage and when to manage up or manage across. Um, Again and again, I hear the, the almost the opposite story where it's like somebody gets a manager or an agent and they expect they're like, I made it and like everything's going to come to me now. But that's actually kind of just one step along a very, very long road. I think the, I, the other thing that's interesting is uh, understanding that like there are dynamics and there are relationships outside of you and your relationship with your manager that you can, can, that need to be considered like, oh, like actually there may be a history with this person and CAA, but you know, if you feel that kismet and that those good feelings, like you're entitled because you are also interviewing the agent to understand like, Hey, the rumor has it that, and this is not news at all, but like people get lost at CAA and people's agents don't return their calls. Like, is that going to happen? How are we, how do I protect against that? Like, that's a red flag. What, how are you different? And, and, and I think it does go both ways too. And I think often, especially in the emerging space, if you're like, I have a meeting with an agent, like this is it. It's my one time. And I made that mistake. Somebody set me up with a meeting with somebody at Gersh and I was like, well, it's one and done. And, and this guy said to send my script over when it's ready. And I spent two years working on it. I sent it over and I was like, okay, here I am. And then he's like, I don't know what to do with this. And who are you again? And so I think there's a lot of, it, it really is a conversation and it is like dating as well. I think you should take time to, to, and be okay with taking time. It doesn't have to be like a, this conversation is the make or break and it shouldn't be. And if somebody's pressuring you to feel that way, then you don't want to work with them because that's not how it works. Well, I was going to say, it's tricky because, you know, everything in life be- can become a dating analogy if you're not careful. And there's a lot <laughs> about really work that's not like dating. So I- I'm not going to go too far down the dating road, but there's an interesting thing that sort of happens at some point in your mid-20s, or it happened to me and happened to many people I know. Some people are just born with self-worth and like, good for you. I'm glad that you somehow came out feeling good about yourself. But a lot of us are normal human beings riddled with insecurities and fears. And dating in the beginning is like, I'm going to present something great to you. And then at some point you're like, oh, no, 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 I'm here on this date to get to know you and you're here to get to know me. And we're here to decide if we actually like each other. And it's pointless for me to try and be more interesting than I am because it's not about putting a show on. I'm also here to get to know you. Like I'm here to find out if I enjoy your company because, yes, you were very cute, but like do I also enjoy talking to you? And like, that is a thing that happens. And I feel like this place is very much a parallel. Like I remember the first meetings I went on and I remember a lot of my friends sort of, as we started to get stuff into festivals and started going to the meetings. And there was very much the, like, I'm going to put on a show. Like I'm going to like present to you that I am ready and I am here. And this is the thing. And it's like, fundamentally, as long as you're dancing, it's not actually a productive conversation. And what you want to do is you want to have that conversation where you're like, all right, well, what are you into? Like, what are you like? what is this manager or agent love? Like, what is their, like, 
What are they excited by? What are the things that they're getting made? Like you are there to evaluate them as much as they are there to evaluate you. And you want to find out like, what have their sales been like the last year? If they've sold nothing but comedy, then you're like, oh, okay. This is a person who gets me. If they haven't sold a comedy script in two years, comedy is its own weird universe of like, you will meet people who are like, I'm a comedy manager. That's all I do. There's like, there, you know, if, if you're meeting with a manager and you're into comedy and they don't have like three people they know at Comedy Central, like they're not the right fit. But we have to get to that place where you're like, oh, I am also looking for someone who is the right fit for me as much as I am trying to prove that I'm the right fit for them. Mm. And that's like a sort of tricky part of the journey to get to that place where you're like, oh, this is who I am and what I'm trying to do now. And that can change. I mean, people, once you get yourself in a box, you're, you're always trying to get out of that box. But, you know, the first thing you do is you get into a box and you're like, I'm comedy, I'm action, I'm whatever. And then you try and break out later. And uh, yeah, the other thing is it's about being prepared is that like at USC, they hammered us and they were like, USC has a lot of flaws, but one thing they really understand is the industry. And they were like, there is no point in having a meeting. If you don't have a script to follow it up, you're going to, your film's going to get into festivals. You're going to have a meeting and it is irrelevant to send that script 30 days later. So like you're two years later, it's like, like, Oh, that sucks because like, <laughs> oh, I cringe like, about it. I feel like no one would still be working like, there anymore because, like I said, it's a burn. Oh, yeah. it's a burn business. Like, no, I mean, everyone like, would be dead. Like, <laughs> like physically, agents agents have like the lifespan of bugs. <laughs> but so literally, USC's whole thing is like you have that meeting and you want to be in that weekend read pile that weekend. Mm -hmm. You want because so. For those who don't know, there's the weekend read. It's less than it used to be, but like scripts largely go out on Fridays. And the expectation is, is someone is reading them on Monday. And by Monday at noon, you'll know if like the script has heat or not. It's And if your script doesn't have heat, you're just supposed to write another one for another year, which is like part of life and happens to everybody. But like, if you meet on a Tuesday, you want to get it into the read pile for that weekend. Like that's the level of memory. Because, you know, agents and managers are meeting like, 15 people a day and you want to like really follow up on the like what was interesting about that meeting oh here's my pilot script here's my whatever that was one thing usc actually did a good job of preparing me of you see i can say nice things about usc yeah even though they're now a rival because you're the chair of <laughs> well i mean i've been teaching here for eight years so they've always been a rival mm. but i do so, think oh go ahead i was just gonna say george i'm, I'm curious like now, having gone through that whole experience and, and sort of being on the other side and like having that period of time where you felt very sought after and everything like and, and sort of having it, I, I assume, did it just sort of like crumble from there? How did you how did you recover? <laughs> like, what was the next <laughs> was step? The next like after step? that went yeah. down? Because for me, that's like, you know, the yes. thing, like it's really hard for me. Yeah. OK. <laughs> well, I <laughs> so mean, like, so like when you go out to the bar with, with your, your your old partner, like, what do you what do you shoot the shit about? Like, how, oh, if we'd only. You know, like, what's the cautionary uh, tale? You know what we actually honestly do a lot of? We He's one of my best friends. We joke about the insane people that we interacted with. We joke about the worst pitch meetings. We joke about the execs who were falling asleep or the ones who showed up super blazed, like, oh as, as high as you can imagine. We talk about the ones who actually have gone on and done really well and how we see these projects where we're like, oh, that's executive produced by that guy we really did connect with, and he was a junior development exec at the time, and he knew, like, I, I feel comfortable talking about this stuff. It was like, he, he was one of the execs on Stranger Things. And as soon as I saw Stranger Things in his name, I was like, yeah, 
I kind of, I'm not surprised. Like he got what we were after. We were kind of in that ballpark. Like we were very Amblin is what everyone always said, like Amblin comedy kind of. And he, and that's what those strangers, that's what the Duffer brothers were doing. Mm-hmm. And there are others where you're like, like, uh, I, I, it's funny. Like I remember sitting in the meeting with the people who were about to put out Cowboys and Aliens and they were like, this is going to be amazing. <laughs> this is going to be awesome. And they're like, you got to do stuff like this. And we're like, eh, you know, or, or, and I've said, I've told this story before, but remember that Netflix movie, Bright? Mm. I remember being in the room with executives who were like, this is the concept. We'd like you to go spec it out as a screenplay. And we had a pitch for what that movie was going to be kind of, and it's not quite what they ended up doing. I think ours was better, of course, but it's, it, it was, it's kind of funny to see where things have gone with the mm-hmm. people you interacted with at that level. The other thing we talk about is just, you know, we do talk about the what. So, there's a great book I've read recently that I would recommend everybody listening and everyone in the world, whatever they do. And it's called Start With Why. And it's it's about business, but it really could apply to anything. Because what I think we didn't do then that would have helped is if you start with the why, like, what's your reason for being here? Like, what do you get out of bed in the morning? Why do you want to write movies? Why do you want to make movies? Do you want to be famous and rich? Because if that's your why, that's kind of like entertainment's not the not the easiest path first of all but that's also a byproduct of something you do like what like and there's a lot more in the book i i highly recommend it to anybody but when i look back i think well what was our why you know and like i think our why was we had fun writing together because it was just fun for us like the industry part of it was was unpleasant and challenging and when i think about the what happened it was like well you know we 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 went with one of the agents because they had said, you won't get lost with us. And if we don't sell the feature version you're working on of this viral video, we will help you self-produce it because we have a finance arm. Well, that was a done deal. And our people were like, do that. It's a small, it was paradigm, smaller agency than CA, but still big one, blah, blah, blah. Of course, that didn't actually happen. They didn't help us finance our movie. So we were like, okay, now what? So we wrote an indie movie that we could self-produce and we did. And everybody was advising us against that. That was the one thing that everybody was like, this is probably a mistake or this is and they advise us not to cast the lead we cast who turned out to be Randall Park, who was the only reason the movie got distribution was because Randall Park was in it. But we liked him for the role. So what I learned all the at all these steps was like trusting instincts and what's best for your project and Mm -hmm. what you enjoy doing results in something. Trust being afraid and afraid of making mistakes and listening to other people leaves you confused. Like we ended up making our little movie. I literally got a check last week because still sometimes money comes from that little movie. Now it's not like it didn't, it's not a success truly, but in a way it was. And I think that that like, that's what I took out of it. But I also took out of it that like when my partner started wanting to do other stuff and not write, I was kind of like, I don't really like writing alone. It's like, and I've had a lot of bad experiences. So I just kind of moved on like in my life from like, you know, it wasn't fun anymore. But um, one of the big things I wanted to point out was that my manager at the time, who was young like me, is now very successful. Like he's had a number of big movies that he executive produced as a manager of the clients who wrote and directed them. He's guided people very well. He's learned Mm -hmm. repetitions like really matter. And like my story is more about like at some point being like, I don't want to be in this game and take repetitions anymore. But I think that the key 
is like, so you whiffed. So, you know, you didn't go to CAA. So you went to Paradigm. So the relationship isn't great. So they dropped you at some point. So whatever. You're not dead. Like, if you like it, if your why is to keep doing it, you just keep doing it and your reps get repetitions get better and then Mm -hmm. new reps find you. Like, I think that there's like, we, we ended our path, Mm -hmm. you know, like our path was not over. Like the doors were not all closed. There were opportunities. Yeah. Like it's, it's really like our opportunities were not ones we wanted to take as a team anymore, which which is kind of what happened. We were just like, we made a horror comedy and there was a lot of like kind of low, horror stuff that was like you could do this next and we just didn't want to so that's sort of the end of that story but um yeah i think that the biggest lesson i took was like the regrets are about not trusting instincts Mm -hmm. and about listening to other people who you thought knew better instead of what's what's really guiding me here is x like i want to do this in my heart like the y not the intellectual part. If you if you listen too much to your brain, I think, as opposed to your heart, like on what you're doing and why you're doing it, then you can get very confused. And there's this there's proof that like when we present ourselves with too many like cerebral options, we get lost. Like we like to make instinct decisions and it's easier. Which totally makes sense in terms of how when you are at the point building out your team, like you are the heart of the team, you're the creative heart of the team. And when you're working with managers and agents, they should be people that you also employ to remove barriers when that creative core is being threatened in your in your at any process along the way but like especially down the line when you're in the midst of making your movie and somebody's telling you no or the studio's telling you no that's when you call up your agents and they get on the phone and they have the conversations that that let you keep the core of what you're doing and that's that type of advocacy should be happening on the business side and and you as like the creative core can articulate why it needs to happen from a creative perspective and then they switch into you know business negotiating mode and and they're sharks for a reason because they're and they're there for a reason so it does it does make sense especially operating like in the production side of things and when it comes to negotiating for you having those people in your corner who are very driven by the bottom line and very driven by the numbers. That is a whole different thing that I I think, especially in the earlier phases, sometimes you're like, I'm so lucky to have a chance. And like the, I think we all feel like we're going to get fucked by our first deal no matter what, but like, it doesn't always have to be that way. And we're lucky. We are, we're bringing value to the table as creatives and, and that needs to be protected and honored. And, and that's also the benefit of having the folks who are, you know, those sharks, those suits. Something so valuable you just pointed out that it reminded me of that I want to say real quick is that the most important thing is that those reps really, really believe in your talent and in what you're doing. And that they're not just saying it. And you need to suss that out somehow, like Charles said, because we didn't really have that. Like our manager at that time was kind of like, we're lucky to be here. Like, why did I like, don't fuck this up, guys. Like, Kind of like that. You want somebody who is like, you're so good that it's gonna like, we're going to make them see how good you are. And if, and if you don't get that vibe for real, then 
that's going to be a problem because there's going to be a lot of no's or even like you said, the things of people pushing back on your ideas. You need somebody who's not going to be like, hey, if this guy's pushing back, you should listen to him because you don't know what the fuck you're doing and you're not that great. Like you need somebody who's going to be like, no way. My person, my client, like they have the goods. Like it's so important. Like, and I don't know if you can always find that, but we did not have that. We didn't have the feeling of being like, we really had the goods, which I think we did. Honestly, like there was enough evidence that like at that moment we did, but we didn't feel that way. So eventually you want to get to a place where you're repped or surrounded by people who really buy in. It's not worth having someone in your corner, no matter how powerful, important they are. If they don't buy in, that's, that's the thing I would say. I, I went on a meeting with just a casual coffee set up with an agent at Sundance. And I have to say it was the first time I met somebody in this context where I felt really comfortable and safe and like, like cared for. And that was just like a gut feeling that I'm like, this is great. Next steps. We're going to get coffee when he's in LA next and I'll keep you guys posted, but nice. it's a, I'm, I'm letting it happen organically. And also it was just like, Oh, this is really refreshing. So there's something value in that. Also that gut feeling. The other thing I always like to flag about all of this is that if nothing else, what a rep is supposed to understand is they're supposed to understand what the marketplace is. And that might not mean creative. That might just mean budget. A story I always like to tell is I booked a job once. I wasn't repped in this thing I was doing, but I booked a job and I got an offer and the offer was fine, but I didn't know the market rate on the offer. And I called my friend who was like, oh, let's set you up with a meeting with a rep. I met with a rep. He covered me for that one job. And within an hour, my rate was tripled, like within an hour. Yeah. And so his 15% fee, like he came back and he was like, yeah, their first offer was bullshit. And I know what you should be getting. And I got, and, and literally that I had one conversation with him and he got 15% of that. And I got eight, 185% extra because he knew what the going rate was Worth and it. knowing and understanding what is actually happening in the marketplace is one of the jobs of your rep. And so, you know, it's, it is hard to keep track of what things are selling for, what, jobs are getting paid for. And like, frankly, that's not our fucking job. Like it is reps job to know that. And they're incentivized to get you that money. And in that hour of like five phone calls, that dude got a check that was nice for him and <laughs> significantly increased my check. And so that's the thing to remember about reps is that like, you also can just have a rep for one job. Like that is a person who usually reps people permanently. I, I was not going to be doing this job a lot. He was like, we'll just do this one off. And he, we did it one off. Everybody's happy. Like it doesn't have to be, you, you don't have to find the one that will be with you until you die and speak at your funeral. You can also just have a rep that can handle a deal for you and get you paid. Speaking of finding the one, let's talk about creative collaborations. So there's just, you know, we're not going to hit dating too hard, but there's this thing in film. You see it in job ads all the time of like, I'm looking to find my creative team. I'm looking to find my like long-term crew collaborators and you see like, you know, you read IMDb pages and you're like, Oh wow, that DP and director have been working together for 25 years. And like, it's interesting to think about, but it's also interesting to think about like, how do you communicate with a team when you are ready to start working with other people in order to keep growing yourself in order to, or, you know, it's just not the right fit for a project. So famously, you know, Gordon Willis shot Godfather one, Godfather two, and then Coppola wanted, um, Vittorio Storaro, hot off the conformist to shoot Apocalypse Now. 
and asked Storaro, and then Storaro went to Gordon Willis, unbeknownst to Coppola, and was like, so, all right, is this cool? Like, I'm now going to do this movie. You just did the two Godfathers. We're DPs. Like, I'm not going to do an Italian accent. I occasionally will do a Storaro, but I'm not warmed up. And <laughs> Gordon Willis was like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to the Philippines for a year. Like, what? No, I'm curmudgeonly Gordon Willis, who brings a sandwich in my briefcase every day that my wife makes me for lunch. Like, I don't, I'm not going to the Philippines for a year. And, but then when Coppola came back for Godfather 3, he hired Gordon Willis again. Like, that collaboration, like, I can't remember how much Gordon Willis worked with Coppola after that, but they definitely did Godfather 3 together. Coppola definitely understood that Gordon Willis was the cinematographer for the Godfather franchise. And, you know, it's, I don't know. If Francis and Gordon Willis had a conversation about it, I would imagine they did, because that seems like a classy move. But I know Storaro went to that. And I've actually worked with people as a DP and had other had conversations with other DPs about that. That's been a thing on a smaller scale. On the flip side, you know, you, you have to be able to... One of the nice things about commercials and music videos is everybody is booked so much that it's like not a big deal. It's like, okay, you did three music videos with me, and, and, and now I am booked on something. And so you start hiring something else and then you come back to me when they're booked and I think it's more complicated in features because that's the big game. What brought up this conversation? I have Somebody a, else I, had a thing, I, right? I, I want to throw out an example of <laughs> the alternate. This show, the show Winning Time that was on Showtime ended up being the rift that broke Adam McKay and Will Ferrell, right? Famously, mm -hmm. because it's a McKay-produced series and Will Ferrell had this dream of playing the lead and McKay wanted John C. Riley, I guess, or just not Will Ferrell. I don't know the details, but that's essentially what happened. And apparently they're not friends anymore. And if you watch it, um, well, I don't know if they're friends. What do I, I don't know anything about that. I just know that this was a rift over. They're the not cast. talking. I know, yeah. I don't know what happened. Read us magazine. Oh, nobody reads magazines. I don't know. Does us even exist anymore? It and would to. us magazine cover Adam yeah, McKay? Probably, probably, <laughs> not. probably Adam McKay's not their subject matter. Anyway, made the, me read the no film school version of us. If that exists anyway, it's John C. Riley's extremely well cast. He's amazing in it. It makes it works. Is it worth the like? This is the thing that I always think about. Like, sometimes, like, those decisions are hard to do without hurting someone. Yeah. And is hurting someone worth like, how do you make the ROI? How do you make the value call on some a relationship or feelings versus what you think is best for a project? I know for a lot of people, the idea is like, oh no art over everything and like the whatever makes the project best mm -hmm. and i know for that's kind of the i think that's the core mythology to our industry if anything that it's like anything for the you know whatever it takes that's not how i would operate like i would definitely choose the relationship first and be like okay so you know me and will ferrell if i was adam mckay I'd be like me and will ferrell go way back and we're here to do that. We're we're like having fun out here and the stakes are not like so high and he, he can play Jerry Buss. It'll be fine. Like I, that's probably how I would have approached it if I was Adam McKay. Likewise, if I was Will Ferrell, I would be like, yeah, John C. Rowe. Like I, that's just who I am. But I think that there are ways probably to try and avoid the rift where you're more like Charles said, maybe, th maybe there would have been a way that they could have handled it that would have prevented it where you talk to somebody first and like my thing is 
I think if you try to make it clear that you're trying to take care of the relationship first, Mm -hmm. it'll be easier to make the decision where it's like, look, I don't think like for whatever reason, this project or this situation is the right one for us to team up on, but I'm excited for the next time or whatever. Or you just ask them and let them make the decision. But, you know, sometimes you're in a position where you ask them and they're like, no, I want to. I want to shoot that movie with you. I want to go to the Philippines. Like sometimes they don't give you the easy out. What do you do then? Like, what would you guys do? It's obvious what I would do. I would say, okay, fine. You shoot it. <laughs> like, what do you guys, what do you guys do? If Gordon Willis says, I really want to shoot it. It can't be Vittorio Serraro. Well, I, I feel like, so, so I've been thinking about this in the context of like, what is my goal with this project? And there are shorts and there are sketches that I've been working on and, I have my, I have great people that I work with and I love them dearly, but there are certain, you know, I know that like, if I'm working with this person, it's going to be like a, we're going to need a camera team and a camera package. And I'm like, I just want to try something and I don't want to have to pay money. I want to just get people together and, and try making something. And so there's this like spectrum of, like getting like experimenting and doing it the right way the like i'm using quotes like the you know hollywood approved way and 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 i think i like like to play along that spectrum for different reasons and i think i i've collected information where it's like oh well if this person wa- wants to work on this thing even if i'm like we're improvising the entire thing and it could all be crap and we might just like throw it all away but they'll still be working to like make the sound sound a certain way or make the picture look a certain way or things will have to be lit and everything will have to be like done the by the books and that is a restriction that i don't always want to work with so i've been like you know, but, and on top of it, it's like, sometimes I, I want to diversify. Like, you know, I love, again, I love working with certain people, but it's like, well, I look around and I'm like, wow, everyone here is white. This doesn't feel right. Like we need to shake things up a little bit. And I think it is part partially like doing, making multiple things and, and being clear with this, the, but my, I guess my question is like, do I owe somebody a explanation if I just like went in another direction on a project that they have nothing to do with. I I think it's, I definitely think you don't, but it's like, to me, the, the, the thing that I'm so weary of with long time collaborations and, and, you know, I'm, I'm not necessarily like a, a big feature DP. Like I mostly just do doc stuff and like local commercials and music videos and whatnot. So I don't have a lot of, there are a few teams that I work with, almost on everything they do. And one thing that I definitely have have noticed is that there are a couple of people that I have worked with a lot that sort of have this mentality about me that it, I feel is unfair, which is that they can't do... And this I don't mean this to sound like big-headed about myself, but they, they've built systems around me and what I do and the way I do it that they... Therefore, if I can't do something, they then feel like they can't do the thing anymore. Like what I'm, what I've brought to the table for them for so long, if they don't have it, they don't know what to do. And that's something that you have to really, particularly like in documentary filmmaking, like, you know, you build, you work with someone long enough, you build playbooks with them that, you know, if, if, you know, I, I get booked on something else, there's this subtle guilt that gets thrown at me where I'm like, 
I'm just trying to keep the lights on. This is not, you know, we don't have to be so personal about it. And, but it, it is like, you know, I think if nothing else, I would just strongly advise against working with this, only the same people because of that, because you, you have to be able to work with other people and, and really know yourself as a creative, not yourself as a creative in context with this other person. So it's, 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 that's a whole other reason other than like having, you know, more diversity in what you're doing and like all that. It's like, you have to, you have to know yourself as a creative and as a leader enough to work with other people and still feel like you'll be able to get the thing that makes you special on the, you know, on, in, in the camera. Mm-hmm. That is a really good point. And it reminds me of the last segment where so much of my creative was tied up in my partnership. Like I was in a team and I never developed much of an identity in, in my own self, like what I was on my own. So I think you're making a really good point. But also as a producer, which I did have an identity of my own because I was producing stuff all the time as a line producer and production manager. But I often liked like the exact, I, I feel like you're talking around this kind of Todd, but I used to like thinking about the same way that I like to think about casting sometimes is the most interesting casting is when you're casting someone out of their normal role. I used to like to think about the DP types I knew and be like, what if that person stretched into this kind of thing? Like they always do this thing, but I bet they'd be, I bet it'd be interesting to see them stretch into this. And it gets tough when you're only identified as the like, well, Todd's our product shot guy. I don't know that you, I'm not saying you are, but if it's, it's just like Todd only does product shots, we're not going to, he has product shot tools and we wouldn't ask Todd to shoot our feature film. But what if you were like, Todd's a smart guy. He likes the movies I like. We, we have fun together. I want to see if Todd, maybe it'd be fun to have Todd to shoot my feature film. If you can be low stakes enough about it, but is that kind of what you're talking about? Where like you, you feel like you get trapped in the, like, I only know this guy who does this thing. Well, to me, it's, it's just more, it's more like it's from the perspective of the person hiring me where it's like that person should be comfortable that that whoever they find to do the work granted like that they're right for that job or whatever. But yeah, I mean like, I, I definitely don't think, you know, a, a product shot DP should only ever be a product shot DP or whatever. But it's like, I guess what I'm saying is like, just know yourself as a creative enough that you can work with anyone and still get what you do, you know, done. Mm-hmm. And and kind of like what you're saying with, with you and your writing partner, like you, right. you have to develop that, that sense of self as a creative and what makes you special and all that sort of stuff. And what makes you special should never be the people that you like, the, the, people that you use time and time again. And if, if, if that recipe isn't there, there's no more secret sauce. Like that's the thing yeah. that I'm trying to say. Um, cause, cause I mean, oh. like Coppola went to the Philippines with Stor- Storaro and, you know, made one of, one of the greatest films of all time. So it's like, you know, he, that, that thing wasn't gone when he didn't have Gordon Willis. Like, that's kind of what I'm saying. I have a question that I, feel like it will be answered in by Charles because I feel like you've probably been in the weeds with it with your course on how to make money as a cinematographer. If you are in the position of, say, cinematographer and you feel like you're put in a box of, like, the product shot guy, but you're, like, trying to break out of it, like, how do you, like, push back on that that box that you've been put in? Which, like, we've talked about before on the podcast and even earlier today, sometimes you have to start in a box and then, so then people can like contextualize it, you, and then, but how, how do you break out of that or, or communicate that you're like willing to, to shake things up? 
I mean, I, so I got sort of twofold answers for you. The first one is you like, I want to hit on your first question, which is like, how much should I feel bad about the person's feelings if I'm mixing up the DPs I'm hiring? And for me, I'm like, there are like, I'm not going to say feelings don't exist in movies because you were all creative, sensitive artists and we should think about the feelings of the people we work with. But like, I think a lot of the big dramas that happen are, are sort of invisible contracts. Like someone gets in their mind, it's like, oh, I'm this person's DP and they're going to hire everything for me. But it was never articulated. You never said that aloud. You never signed a contract that's like, you're getting a 10% discount in exchange for exclusivity. You just hired them four times. And so like at a certain extent, like you're free to just hire other people and like they have to manage their own feelings on that because that is the deal with filmmaking. And I remember the first time I shot two things back to back for a director who's now huge, very popular. And I remember when she moved on to another DP and I remember I talked to the producer about it and he explained the decision making. He was like, yeah, she's just looking for X. And I was like, oh, yeah, I don't really do X. Like he had some things I didn't do. And I was like, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. And we stayed friends and we're, we're, she came and spoke to my class last year. So it's not a big, it's not impossible. If I, if someone asks you for explanation, you can give it, but I don't feel like you owe them explanation. This is, this is, this is firmly within the like, this is just business unless someone cut you some specific relationship deal. So like, for instance, I have a bunch of people that do me fuck like not recently, but I owned a production company for a long time and we would do all this like low budget stuff all the time. And people are doing favors mm -hmm. inherent in that is the idea that when I get a budget, I am bringing them all out to balance out for the fact that they have done me all these favors. Sometimes it works in the reverse. Sometimes you do a bunch of the high bang stuff and then they do you the favor. Yeah. But when you're climbing, sometimes you do a lot of the favors and like there is an implication if people cut their rate that you will try and bring them on when you get the big rate thing that is implied. That should be clear. That should be spoken. I really don't like unspoken contracts. I think it gets messy. But, like, there's a going thing. Mm -hmm. To the extent to which I remember I knew someone who, like, edited all these indie features for a director. And then the director got a studio movie and, like, couldn't even, didn't even bring the editor on as, like, in the assistant team on the studio. And I was, like, I was annoyed for him. Because yeah. I was, like... Editing an indie feature is a thankless job that no one makes enough money doing. You are not, you're never paid properly to edit an indie feature. It always goes on too long at too low a rate. You get the studio movie, you at least get them an assistant gig. You get them in the mix. You get them lead edit if you can. So that's the only time you owe people. But like, you want to go out and do like a, oh, I just want to shoot with someone and they're holding an iPhone and we're doing a thing. You do not owe anyone like you, you have no obligation for who you bring out on the little real builder brain expander stuff. But you should, if you get a good rate and you're paying the crew good rate, try and think through the people who have done you a solid on the way. The flip side of that is like as a creative, and this is any creative, this is directors, DPs, editors, anybody, getting out of your rate always involves eating a little bit of money. So like you get use, you get put in a box as like a product person and you get a good day rate as a product person. You want to get out of product. You're not going to get out of product at the same day rate. You're going to have to go out and shoot an indie feature at nothing or like barely enough. And then you'll have that indie feature that's getting attention that will help you break out a product. The hardest thing to do is once you've gotten used to like, oh, I'm this comedy director who's doing these comedy spots and I'm used to that. And now I want to do dramatic spots. Your first couple, you will have to eat at a rate that is lower and frustrating, but that's just the deal to break out of a box. Yeah. I mean, for, for me, I spent like, the first probably six, seven years of my career being really annoyed because 
all people would hire me to do is motion design. And I'm like, no, I'm a DP though. <laughs> Let me shoot things. But I would keep getting hired to do the graphics for their project. And, you know, in my market, there's like, there's literally like, I know this isn't true, but there, it, it seems to be like there's maybe five DPs. There's like, if you, if you don't use this person, then, then the next person down, then the next person down. And, and the person always jokes, oh yeah, he couldn't do it. So that's why I'm here. And, you know, it took, it took a long time to like get into that, that echelon that, you know, I might be, I might be hovering around like number six or seven at this point, but you know, it, it was, it was truly like, like Charles said, it was the thing where, you know, I just had to go and like do, do a couple, I had to eat some, some money and like go shoot some stuff. And you know, it's, it's all that thing, that, that same thing. Like, it's funny, we're talking about not, not building too strong of relationships or being too relied on or whatever, but that's kind of how I did it. <laughs> you know, I, I just like, like I said, there's like some people that I work with that I just like, you know, met them at the right time and, and became pretty, pretty essential to what they do. But you know, it's, I, I, now I'm kind of feeling the brunt of that where it's like, okay, you know, we're, we're me and me and my, my wife are talking about moving and stuff. And like the first thing that comes out of my head is like, but man, it, what, what will it do to the such and such, you know, like, Oh, they're going to be so sad. And I'm like, you know, I shouldn't feel that. I shouldn't feel that guilt, you know? So that's a thing. You know, there, there was a time where I had to make, I like Charles, your point about the unwritten thing with the features. One of the things I always thought about when I was producing was I would bring people onto these little things with low pay and I would always hope that I would be able to deliver one day. I, I, it feels good to deliver for someone the bigger opportunity. Like it feels like when you get to make the call and you're like, Hey, this time I'm doing something for comedy central and there's like real money. This it's is a great day rate. Day like, like, yeah, it's like a good day rate. Like it felt, it feels great, especially when it's somebody who's been in the trenches with you. Totally. And when I did the indie feature stuff, it was kind of tough that there were situations where, but I remember the decision was like long time DP really like, but this rate's going to be low and he doesn't come with the camera. And like, I need a guy who's going to come with the camera yeah. and I need this. And people tend to understand that because they want, they have like, this is my rate. Like I don't, you know, and it's like, if you're going to cost me a lot of money, me, the production on top of the rate. And it's like, I'm not saying it's not worth it. You know, it's just sometimes you're tied to, as a producer, you get tied to these situations where you're like, this is my number and I'm backing in. And so I have to find things that work, but it does feel great when you get to bring people to bigger day rates and bigger projects. And it happened to me, like as a line producer, like someone would be like, oh, I've seen him work real hard for like nothing as a producer. And like, now I have a show where he can actually get a decent day rate and actually do less work. <laughs> like that's kind of how it works sometimes. And you're like, that's awesome. Like it works out that way. So there's something to community building in that sense. And I do think it goes back to kind of an old refrain we've talked about so many times on the podcast, which is like, don't be a jerk. Like if you're not a jerk, if you're a good person and a good hang on set and you pitch in and help out and you're like easy to deal with, people are just going to be like, when the opportunity comes, they're going to be happy to bring you along and give you the opportunity because they've seen how hard you're willing to work and, and just how nice you are to deal with. Um, but I think typically if people don't understand that this situation kind of demands that I go in this other direction and it's not personal if they take it personally, I don't think you can feel bad because I think if you do right by them and you explain yourself and you're like honorable in the process, I think that then if it's hurt feelings, it's just like, there's nothing you can do about it. It is what it is. Like yeah. some people will feel, some people will feel betrayed. And like, I had, 
I had a situation where someone was, this is a, this is a really annoying story they, I was producing an indie feature they were doing and they were not going to pay me. It was like a points thing. One of these stupid, you know, like the deal was like, Hey, I know you're good at this and I've got three producers and they've all agreed on like a rev share model and like on this indie feature, like, yeah, come on. Yeah. Right. But anyway, like that was the deal. And at some point early on, I was like, you know what, dude, like, I don't think so. Like, this is going to be a lot of work and I'm not up for this at this point yeah. in my life. And this was still in my twenties, by the way, but I was just like, I'm not doing this hard ass work for, for money when you sell it. And he was so offended by that, that he didn't even stay in touch. Like didn't talk to me anymore. Wasn't my friend anymore. Didn't invite me. I actually did do some work too, by the way, on it in the pre-production. Didn't invite me to the screenings of the thing. Like all that. I was just like, wow, that to me, that was like one of those, like, just shitty people, shitty situations. I'm so glad you got out of it early on. <laughs> oh yeah. It was misery. It was a misery. The, the whole setup, like it was all going to be locations. It was horror. It was going to be a lot of work and I wasn't going to make a dime until the thing made money, which I doubt it ever did. And, like, it was just a horrible, there's so many of those out there. People, there's so many of those where people are like the joke, the meme in, in the, world is like the you're going to get paid an experience or like you're going to make relationships it's like don't don't waste your time like if like uh, unless you're truly looking for the very first couple things and the people you're doing it with are also not like bringing it like i I would be so careful about that but there are some situations where like it's my first time i got to get on set i got to get some reps and meet some people and i'm willing to help out a little bit just to get a foot in the door, like I can, but by and large, don't do it. Yeah. And like, that should be when you're 19 and yeah. it shouldn't be on a feature. It should be on like a weekend short that somebody's yeah, like doing a, as a passion project for four one days. Night. I've done that for one night yeah. sometimes yeah. where I was like, and I've gained things out of it, but like for a feature, yeah. like, yeah, that's criminal, honestly. <laughs> I was just doing an impersonation of somebody saying the points are gonna pay you big money <laughs> yeah, it, you're never like pizza you're gonna pizza and experience if that's if pizza and experience is what you're getting paid then you walk so if it, like i've always been offered the the deferred payment thing like we'll pay you later on when we get money and i'm like so it's free i'm i'm doing this for free <laughs> yeah. but yeah like the, when i get that offer i'm like if you just come to me with free, I might, I mean, I haven't done free in like 10 years, but like when I was still willing to do it, I was like, just tell me free, yeah. but this whole deferred thing and I'm going to spend an hour like the, reading your crazy <laughs> contract. Right. It's the laziest, like, laziest con ever, right? It's like, just say, Hey, will you help me out? Like big time, like for free. And yeah. maybe like, I'll like, it, it just like, I could do something for you later. Like, but the con of there's going to be money down the line. It's like. There's so many, there's Come so on. many of those things. Like when, when I'm on those, like I've been on a few of them and it's like, like as a DP, it makes it there it at least makes sense. Cause you get some shots for your reel, but I'm always like thinking about like the makeup person and the AD and like, what are you getting out of this? Like, you know, like I, I, I can at least have like a couple nice, like foggy morning shots to put on my reel or whatever, but like. <laughs> the like the people who are showing up at six in the morning it's like it's so like why are you doing this you know it's i i definitely totally agree that 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 whole thing should be saved for like the the shorts and the little smaller passion projects and stuff yeah once you're out of the age range of college age for those of you out there don't even at, don't try it and if they you can say try deferred, it until you're like 22 
You're not going to get yeah, any money. You can try it until you're 22 or 23. Then you can't, you can't say it anymore. I definitely did it until I was 22 or 23. Because I was like, hey, we're making a movie. It's experience. You'll if, love it. If I didn't no, know I wanted to make <laughs> movies at that age, do I get a free pass in my 30s? For sure. <laughs> well, I mean, I, uh, I, you kind of should. You get one. Yeah. <laughs> one. one. I, I did a short last month for free. I mean, I'm still in that phase. Like, it's whatever. You just. I mean, if you, that's the other thing, like, maybe there's a good reason. Maybe it's fun. Maybe it's like, I like Channel 101 was all free. Like, we put all kinds of work. It was with our friends. We were having fun. Yeah. Like, there's a, there's, sometimes there's a reason. Like, it's low. It, it, but if it's, if it's, n it's situational, I guess, is the Channel point. 101 was for free? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, no one ever, no money ever huh. exchanges hands there. It's just all people. I mean, there used to be agents around though back in the day, but and a lot. That's a great example, by the way, of the thing where people bring each other along because some of the people who were doing that back in the my day, like once they got these shows, like Rick and Morty and Community, they were like, the guy who scored all the music, come score the music. The guy who edited all the effects, come edit the effects. Like all these people became union and got brought along. So th there's a way, but. I don't know. It's all, there's so many ways and it's also nefarious often that <laughs> like people utilize that to try and take advantage of people. You have to know if you're doing it, it's your friend and they will. Like Charles said, this thing of the unspoken rule that like, well, this person's my friend and I know they'll go to bat for me one day. Or if it's just somebody you met and they're like, you know, trying to con you. I mean, it's more dangerous for your friend because when they cut your throat, that's too. You're not going to see it coming. That too. It stings yeah. a little that bit more too. as you bleed out. <laughs> that too. Oh, yeah. That happens too. Brutal. Yeah. On that happy note, folks want to plug the pluggies. <laughs> I'm on Mastodon, Charles Hain at Barbecue that Snoot, and I do YouTube stuff when I feel it, when I get around to it. I'm at Lost in Graceland and at ggHawkins.com. And this week tomorrow, there's going to be a post-production and sound roundtable coming out from a Sundance interview. And it's really fun. Oh, that sounds awesome. I'm Todd Blankenship. You can find me at Am I a Filmmaker on all the places. I'm still trying to figure out what this week tomorrow means. This week. You mean tomorrow? Friday. Friday. <laughs> oh, yes. Now I get it. Okay. <laughs> Yes, tomorrow. When you're listening when to you're this listening. right now, I was like, this week tomorrow, that sounds like a Philip K. Dick <laughs> short story that I, I will write. <laughs> like that. Some kind of, I will write yeah. that for you. Um, please write the short story. It's sci fi, it's sci -fi mind bender this week. We tomorrow. did time travel um, right to this moment at Thursday, yeah. Monday, um, to Thursday. Monday to Thursday. Yes. I'm George Edelman, editor in chief at No Film School. You can find out about everything we talked about and more at nofilmschool.com. Head over to that website, like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast. Listen to all the old episodes. There's some great ones. Be sure to send us a comment. We love your questions. If you ask questions and we answer them, there's such a good chance you'll end up at Sundance winning awards. I can't even or tell you dance. the odds or are irks or slam dance. Sorry. The odds are extremely high <laughs> of that. Very high. Editor at nofilmschool.com. And thanks so much for listening. Mm -hmm.